0: Hey, this is Aaron Brockett, lead pastor of Traders Point Church. Regardless of where you are tuning in around the world or if you call Indianapolis home, I just wanna thank you for tuning in to our weekly message podcast. Our prayer and desire is that God would take the content of these messages and use it to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus as you discover God's purpose for your life. All right, what's up everybody, how you doing? Good to see you. I want to welcome all of our guests and first-time visitors across all of our campuses, and I want to introduce you to a couple that, for many of you, uh, needs no introduction. Uh, this is Matt and Kelly Hessel, and uh, they've been a part of our church family uh, for a long time. Go ahead and give it up for them. Yep. Yeah. And... Uh, those of you that may not be familiar with them, Matt and Kelly grew up in this church. They met in this church. They got married in this church. Matt served on staff here for uh, the better part of a close to a decade, and uh, most recently as our Northwest campus pastor. And uh, Matt was one of my very first friends uh, when I moved to Indy, and just loved this guy, loved Kelly and her heart. And about uh, six years ago, uh, Matt told me that uh, we were in Seattle at a conference, and We were in the hotel room, he said, Aaron, I'm really feeling like God's calling me uh, to be a lead pastor one day, but I don't know when and I don't know where. And would you just walk with me through this journey? And so we've been doing that the last several years, just uh, serving together, but knowing the long range vision would be one day to send him out. And neither one of us really wanted to like address that head on because it was emotional for both of us. Uh, But uh, it became very clear this last year that uh, it was time uh, for us to kind of put this in motion. And so maybe many of you were here last summer when Matt uh, brought them up on stage. Matt officially uh, concluded his role as our Northwest campus pastor. And he began what's called a lead pastor in residence, which we had never heard of before. Uh, To our knowledge, no other church has ever done this before. And so we didn't know if it was gonna work or not, but we used Matt as the guinea pig. And um, we kind of entered into this season where we basically were like, how can we help you give you a long runway Uh, to prepare you for what God's got next. And so that way you say yes to the right opportunity, not just the next opportunity. And so um, that Matt and Kelly have interviewed at churches all over the country and have said no to some opportunities that maybe they would have been tempted to say yes to simply because they would need a paycheck. Um, But they said no to some opportunities that seemed good, but it wasn't the right fit. And we're just confident that God's opened up the right opportunity for them. And here in a few weeks, they're going to be relocating to Longmont, Colorado, and uh, Matt's going to become the lead pastor at LifeBridge Christian Church there. It's a great church. Give it up, man. It's one of our sister churches, church of about 3,000, and uh, God's going to do just some tremendous things in and through that church. I really believe that Matt and Kelly's leadership and influence is just going to take them to the next level. And uh, this is bittersweet for me personally and for us as a church family, because I don't wanna see them go. Um, but uh, at the same time, I'm not gonna block them from going. And uh, God's got big plans for them. Uh, we're gonna, they're gonna take a branch from our family tree and replant it in Longmont, Colorado. And I can't wait to see the, literally the thousands of lives that are gonna be impacted uh, through their obedience. And so here's what we wanna do. Uh, we're just kind of commissioning them and sending them out with our blessing. They'll still be a part of our church family. But uh, they're going to be relocating soon. So I want to ask all of our campuses right now, uh, if you would just, if you're comfortable with it, maybe just extend a hand towards Matt and Kelly. If you're at a campus, just extend it towards the screen. This is just simply symbolic of we're lifting you up and we're sending you out. And let me pray over them. Father, we come to you right now and we're so grateful for the Hessels. Matt and Kelly and their children, Sawyer, Georgia, and Sutton, and we love them. We thank you that uh, we've gotten to do life together for many years, and there are hundreds and hundreds of people that would all line up and uh, give very vivid descriptions about the way that you've used them to impact our lives. I thank you for my friendship with Matt, how he's, um, in moments that nobody has seen, um, lifted up my hands behind closed doors when things were hard and told me he'd be there for me no matter what. Uh, God, I thank you for Kelly and her sweet disposition and her heart for people. And God, I thank you for their three kids and how you've moved in their lives uh, to just reconfirm uh, that this is where you want them to go. Uh, they're, they will always be a part of our church family. <clears throat> uh, but God, we send them with our blessing. We ask that you would give Matt wisdom to know how to navigate the challenges that are coming his way. God, I pray that uh, you would, um, your, hand, uh, your, your blessing and your spirit would be upon that church to reach people that are so far from you. And uh, God, we just um, ask that uh, you would protect them. I know there's going to be things that uh, are going to, challenges that are going to come up in uh, the next several weeks and throughout this first year that are going to be really hard and complex. And we pray that your spirit would comfort them. Um, thank you for them. Thank you for this opportunity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, give them some love. Give it up for them. Thank you so much. Well, um, we are in week number three of this uh, series of messages that we are calling Killing What's Killing You. And uh, you're just now coming into this. uh, Really, all of this is based upon uh, something that a guy named Paul writes in a book in the New Testament called Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. And it just simply says this. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, then you will live. And I think that uh, one of the things that oftentimes keeps you and me from maybe uh, fulfilling New Year's resolutions or even accomplishing some of the goals that are on our list or even our to-do list during the day uh, isn't because it's the wrong resolutions or the wrong goals or the wrong to-do list. It's not because uh, we are weak-minded people. It's because something got in the way, so- something short-circuited, um, what it is that God desires for our lives. There's a word for it in, in his word. God refers to it as sin. It's important to understand that one of the original words for sin is an archery term that means to miss the mark. So it's just simply this idea of that this is what God wanted for you. And then this is what God desires for you. This is what God's vision for your life is. This is his intentions for you. And then sin is anything outside of that. We, we end up missing the mark. And Paul writes, hey, let's put to death those deeds so that we will live. And oftentimes what gets in the way of some of our best intentions is just something that keeps hanging us up, something that's killing us. And so over the last several weeks, we've use kind of the analogy of a spider web and we said uh, I said on week number 1 if you walk into a spider web your immediate reaction is to get it off of you and then to go on the hunt for other spider webs and knock those down and you might knock them down for a while until those little creepy crawly things spin new webs and so if you want to get rid of the webs in your life you can't just knock down the web you walk into you got to get rid of the thing that actually spun the web to begin with and so on week number 1 we said if you walk into the web of envy chances are The thing that spun that web was comparison. And comparison is so deadly to our souls because what we're doing in that is we're trying to figure out our own sense of worth and value and identity by looking at someone else's opportunities and blessings. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about if you walk into the web of worry, chances are the thing that spun that web was fear and that the invitation to walk by faith is not clenching your fists and closing your eyes and trying real hard to believe something that's hard to believe. That's not a good definition of faith. Faith is identifying your fears and stepping into those fears, except this time with the strength that God provides. Today, here's where I wanna, what I want to talk about. This thing that's killing us that we need to be killing is this thing called bitterness and, and anger. And more closely related, how these two uh, play off of each other and interact with one another. Uh, I think all of us have the capacity to get angry in our lives. And anger oftentimes uh, pops up in unexpected ways. And uh, many of us, depending upon your personality, uh, we um, display anger in different ways. Several years ago, our uh, family uh, went on vacation with a couple of other families Uh, to the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And we uh, rented a house uh, together, shared the cost of all that. And uh, there was a beach north of the house where um, you could actually drive your vehicle out onto the the beach. And we thought that was uh, sounded like a good idea at the time. And so we uh, get out on the beach. And what I forgot or neglected to see was the sign that said that you need to let some of the air out of your tires. Uh, So that way you get more more grips, you don't get stuck. And so it it was fine while I was like driving close to the water where the sand is all patted down. But whenever I went to turn around, I got into the soft sand, we we got stuck. And when I say stuck, I mean like sand was up over the running boards of the suburban, uh, exhaust was covered up, like it was bad. And so I'm like angry primarily at myself and I'm getting frustrated. And there was another couple that came over and helped us dig out. We ended up getting off the beach we had to let some of the air out of our tires to get off the beach, which meant now we had four semi flat tires. And so I'm looking for a place to air them back up. The only place that you could air it up was this tiny little gas station with a postage stamp space called a parking lot. You know, it was just not very much space at all. And the air hose, there's only one parking stall to access it, which meant there was a line. And so I'm kind of waiting in line, and finally, uh, there's one car in front of us. These two guys get out, they air up their tires. And then to my disbelief, they walk inside the gas station just on their own timetable. And uh, I'm waiting there and they come out with hot dogs and a 44 ounce Big Gulp, sit on the hood of their car and just casually eat their lunch. And I'm sitting there like, you have got to be kidding me. My wife's like, calm down, calm down, calm down. And it's just starting to brew. It's like starting to simmer up to the top. And what sent it over the edge, and I always wrestle with these like moments because like, h- how much transparency should I give you? Because there's a fine line like, confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation, all right? Well, I just want you to know, um, as your pastor, I'm a very flawed human being. This is just one of many examples um, that I could pick from. And so this uh, delivery truck pulls right in behind me in this tiny little parking uh, lot, and it's trying to get past us to do deliveries, but there's nowhere for me to go. Like I can't, I can't move the truck. I'm not, and I'm certainly not going to leave because I need to get access to the air. This delivery truck gets right up on my bumper. And then the guy just starts honking at me and I lost it, right? I, I got out of the truck and this is what I did. It's not one of my finer moments. I, li- I threw both hands up in the air and I started walking towards this truck and I go, where am I supposed to go, buddy? Where do you expect me to go? And I'm just like getting all dramatic, and I like walk right up to the cab of his truck, which is really stupid. And, um, cause he was way bigger than me. And, uh, and he, here's what he did he rolled up his window, and then he, um, told me that I was number one. At least that's how I chose to receive that. All right. And so I kind of turn, I walk back to my truck and and get in the Suburban, and my wife said two things to me. She said, she said, feel better? And then the next thing she said was, you're scaring the children. (laughs) And I turned around, and I could see just the looks on my kids' faces, and I felt about that big. You know, all of us have the capacity to get angry, um, and it's a very real emotion Um, but we express it in different ways. Some of us, our fuse is longer. Some of us, it's shorter. Some of us, we blow up. Others of us, clam up. Uh, Some of us, uh, we're kind of like a skunk when we get angry. We just immediately spew it all over the people around us. Others of us are more like a turtle, and we kind of just close in and kind of go into our shell, and all of those extremes are damaging to our relationships, and they're toxic to our soul. Now, to be clear, God's word never prohibits anger, though. It never says that you should never get angry. In fact, it says the opposite. It says, be slow to anger. It says this, in your anger, do not sin, which means it's possible to be angry, yet not cross that line into something that is destructive. And there should be some things that make you angry in this world. Things like injustice and racism and sexism and abuse, all those things, God's word says to us that should like bring about like this like righteous indignation. It's like holy discontent. Like that's, that's not right, and I'm going to get angry about it. Jesus himself got angry. Jesus one time got angry at a fig tree for not producing enough figs. And he cursed the tree, and the next day it completely dried up, poor tree. And one time Jesus walked into the temple courts and noticed that they had turned it into an outdoor mall and he went all WWE on them, started flipping over tables and portraying his anger. Jesus got angry with the disciples and the religious leaders all the time, primarily for being selfish and cold hearted towards other people. Bitterness is a different thing. Bitterness is, is unresolved anger in our lives. Bitterness is the calcification of unresolved anger. Let me just kind of give us a definition. Bitterness is the result of unresolved, unforgiven anger and or resentment, here's the key, built up over time. It's a result of maybe a, a painful experience or interaction that you had with somebody in your life, and that, that experience turned into a Belief. It became the lens by which you see others or maybe you see a certain group of people or even by the way that you live your life. The author of Hebrews warns us in chapter 12, verse 15, it says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. That is a powerful sentence. It's basically saying this to all of us. Uh, It's not just about you. Look after each other, making sure that nobody fails to receive the grace of God. Meaning, hey, don't block the grace of God coming into somebody else's life. And one of the things that can block the grace of God into other people's lives that you know and interact with is your anger and bitterness. Make sure that others receive this grace, and then it offers this warning. Watch out. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you corrupting many. The thing about a root is that you can't see it, it's underground. And he says this this root of bitterness is in your heart. Maybe you can't initially see it, but be careful that it doesn't grow up to corrupt your relationships and the people that you love. We see an example of this in the life of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, he was one of his disciples, and he had anger issues. We just see Peter's anger flaring up on him from time to time. and One time he got mad at at Jesus himself. The context here is that Jesus is getting ready to be arrested and crucified. He's trying to prepare his disciples for this. And so in chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 21, it says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. Then he dropped this on him. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And Peter loses it. Verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, that this will ever happen to you. Now, it seems like a good thing to say. It seems like Peter uh, is just expressing a real honest emotion. I think that he was, but it crossed a line. And he's actually, his tone here is one of anger. He's actually telling Jesus what should happen. He said, Jesus, why would you roll over and let this happen to you? And I think Jesus picked up on the tone and he picked up on the direction of Peter's heart. Jesus was an expert at reading hearts. And what Jesus says next to Peter was a little bit jarring. Verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, hey, just calm down. No, that's not what he says. You would think that's what he would say. Hey, I appreciate the sentiment. Now, that's not what he says. He says this. Get away from me, Satan. This is just for free. I don't recommend you do this, right? You get into an argument with your spouse. I don't recommend that this is what you say, right? I, Jesus can only play this card, all right? Jesus calls Peter, satan here now did he mean that literally no what he says next gives us an indication as to why he said it he goes you are a dangerous trap to me and that's what satan does satan sets dangerous traps jesus goes you're a dangerous trap to me in other words actually peter's anger here was tempting jesus potentially riling him up maybe giving jesus an opportunity to potentially go there in anger he says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And that's actually a really good definition of anger. Jesus is saying to us, we keep wanting to change our circumstances. God keeps wanting to change us. And so Peter speaks up here. He doesn't like these circumstances that, are, that he's in. And Jesus is like, hey, calm down just a minute. You are looking at this from a merely human perspective. You're not looking at it from a broader one. And then Jesus offers Peter as well as you and me a way out of our unresolved anger. Verse 24, it says, then Jesus said to the disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must. And I would ask you to say this with me out loud, but I don't think that you would because we don't like it. Give up your own way. How many of you like to give up your own way? Anybody? Yeah, not very many of us. A couple of us, people pleasers. The rest of us, no, we want our way. And he goes, no, no, you must give up your own way, take up your cross figuratively, follow me literally. And then he says this, I've never understood this verse, but understand Jesus is saying this within the context of Peter's anger. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, if you try to hang on to your own way, if you try to hang on to what you think is good for you, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus offers such clarity here, not only as to what's at the root of some of our anger, but also the way for us to break free from the grasps of it. I'm reminded of what uh, James says about anger in in James chapter 4, just the first couple of verses. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires within you? You want, but you don't have So you kill and you scheme to get it. And what Jesus is teaching here and what James is simply reminding us of is that the root of all of our anger is that I wanted something, but I didn't get it. And here's the kicker. What you wanted, maybe you deserved. What you wanted was maybe something good for you. What you wanted was was something that actually you were entitled to but you didn't get it for for whatever reason. And right then and there between the intersection of your expectations and your reality is a choice. Am I going to stay in my anger? Am I gonna sit in it and soak in it and sour in it, which leads to bitterness, or am I gonna spew it Which also leads to bitterness. Or am I going to work out my anger in a healthy way to guard my heart? It has very little to do with the other person that made you angry. And I think that Peter here heard Jesus say this, but it didn't sink in yet. And the reason why I believe that to be true is because just a few chapters later... Peter's hanging with Jesus with the rest of the disciples in the garden the night before his crucifixion, and the Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus, and Peter blows his top again. And this time, he takes a sword out, and he actually cuts off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers. It's kind of awesome if you think about it. Just kind of cuts the ear right off of this guy. His name's Malchus. And what Jesus does next is stunning. Some of you know the story. Jesus bends down, picks up the ear on the ground, snaps it back onto the side of the head of Malchus like a Lego block, (laughs) and tells Peter to cool it. And for a long time, I just never really fully understood that. I thought thought Jesus was being kind of like ungrateful, you know, because here you've got your friend who's actually defending you, Once again, Jesus knew Peter's heart. And Peter's outburst of anger here, I don't think had very much to do with the injustice towards Jesus. I think it had everything to do with his own fear. He was afraid of what he might lose if they arrest Jesus. He was afraid of maybe the lack of platform that he would be giving up if they took Jesus. Because Peter and the rest of the disciples were thinking that Jesus was gonna usher in an earthly kingdom. And it just revealed where his heart was. Was If anyone had a right to get angry in that whole example, it would have been Jesus. He had just had Judas betray him. He's about ready to be arrested for no charges and tried illegally, but Jesus doesn't get angry. And so what are some of the ways in which we can, what are some indications that our unresolved anger is maybe preceding some bitterness in our lives? See, the unfortunate thing about bitterness is you don't know you're bitter until you're already bitter. And so, what are some, some, some red flags? This, I just want to give you just a couple of real practical ap- handles of application for you just to just write down and think about and maybe discuss at home or, or with, your, with your group. Some ways that we know anger is, is being displayed in unhealthy ways and it's preceding bitterness. One is just what I would call the, the fume and spew. The fume and spew. Um, several uh, years ago, I was uh, meeting uh, uh, this uh, young guy in our church for lunch. And it was a guy that I was just kind of mentoring and and, uh, pouring into. And uh, we meet and we sit down at the booth and uh, we just both kind of lean in. And immediately the conversation goes deep. It always did with this guy. And he's confessing some stuff to me and he's wrestling with some things and he tears up. and, And while he's talking, I'm listening to him and I reach over and I grab my ice water and I go for a drink and it goes down the wrong tube. And have you ever had one of those moments where without even thinking about it, your body just rejects it? Oh, yeah. All right. It, all the water that was in my mouth spewed out all over his face. And it was like right at like this like tender moment where he's confessing some stuff to me. And there was a split second. He thought I did it on purpose. And like water's dripping off of his nose. It was awful. I felt so bad. And you know what? There have been times when I've done that in my anger towards people, totally blindsided them. And it always is damaging to the relationship, and it's always toxic to my own heart. In Galatians chapter five verse 19, it says, "When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear." And then he starts with the ones that seem the most clear: sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. When you're at the outer banks. Trying to put air in your tires, guys won't move, right? So one is the fume and spew. The the next is just what I would just call payback or revenge. You know, it feels good uh, to kind of follow the words of the great theologian, Carrie Underwood. (laughs) You know, I dug my keys into the side of his pretty little souped up four wheel drive. Carved my name into his leather seats, took a Louisville slugger to both headlights slashed all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. (laughs) And it's a catchy tune, but I always just want to say back to the radio, Carrie, I don't think he will think next time before he cheats. I I don't think it'll work. It might feel good momentarily, but it's actually not going to, it's actually not going to resolve anything. Revenge is like cotton candy. Tastes good momentarily, but then it doesn't lead you anywhere. Romans chapter 12 tells us to never take revenge and to do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. And revenge is a lie that keeps us from getting well. It's seeking to assume that someone else is responsible for the condition that I'm in. So now I'm going to go even the score. And even if it's true that that other person has wronged you, Revenge never works. Nobody has ever blamed their way to happiness. The next thing that I would call is just an unhealthy way to display anger is what I would just call the stealth attack, sometimes referred to as the silent treatment. And the silent treatment has killed more friendships and more working relationships and more marriages than what we'd probably care to to know. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, don't, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still anger, angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. That's just another way of saying, hey, as soon as you can do something with this anger that you have, go resolve it as quickly as you can, because holding on to it, it's not going to benefit you or the other person. This last week, I, I sort of ran, if, you've, if you have your own business, maybe you've run like a cost-benefit analysis of, of, a, of an expenditure or an investment or a project, and I ran kind of a cost-benefit analysis of anger. Like, what does it cost us and what does it benefit me? And it's very, very clear that it costs more than what it promises. You just run through God's Word and you see that, that anger causes spiritual blindness. First John chapter 2. Unresolved anger affects my prayers, Mark chapter 11 and 1 Peter chapter 3. It's toxic to all my relationships, Hebrews chapter 12. It becomes my own prison, Acts chapter 8 and Matthew 18. It makes my offering to God unacceptable, Matthew chapter 5. It changes my personality and my attitude, Psalm 73. It leads me away from God and into trouble, Proverbs 28. It destroys my health. Job 21 and Job chapter 5. It's just not worth it. So what are some ways that we can deal with our anger in a way that leads our hearts away from bitterness? Well, one I would just give you is just simply seek to understand. When you begin to feel like the emotions of anger and rage boiling up within you, you don't need to suppress it. You don't need to stuff it. You don't need to spew it. You just take a deep breath, do what you need to do to calm down, and then you go, "Okay, I need to seek to understand what's going on in here." And where I always start is just, "God search me. God search me, search my heart, see what's going on in here because I don't understand what's going on in here, and I need your spirit to guide me through this so I don't do something stupid that blows apart this relationship or my influence in this life." Hebrews chapter 4 verse 30 or uh, Ephesians 431 says, "Get rid of all bitterness." Like, get rid of it. Distance yourself from it as much as you can. Get rid of rage and anger and harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Just what's going on in here? And if it's leaning towards bitterness, get rid of it. Here's the second thing. De-escalate the situation. Figure out a way to just dial everything down. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but a harsh words make tempers flare. It's just, it's just amazing. It's your tone. When you begin to see that it's just turning into a heated argument, just just change the tone. And just watch a gentle answer, how it will just deflect the situation. And the third thing is present an observation to this person you're getting angry with rather than an accusation, because an accusation is always like gasoline to a fire. And so, whenever you, here's, here's just a little tidbit stay away from the word always you always that'll light somebody up faster than anything because because the odds are they don't always it just feels that way and when somebody hurts you maybe it was intentional most of the time it's unintentional but to be able to come to somebody with a gentle tone and to say when you said that or when you did that or when you didn't say that and you didn't show up here's how I took it is there any truth to that Could you help me dispel that narrative that's running around in my brain? And from my experience, nine times out of 10, the other person goes, man, I didn't mean it that way at all. And they explain what they meant and it just just dials everything down. It just takes it from nuclear to rational. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says, better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. See, some of us today, Listening to this, some of us are really wrestling with bitterness because of something that happened a long, long time ago to you that you can't do anything about. Maybe you're wrestling with bitterness right now because one of your parents, they consistently manipulated your emotions when you were growing up, or they just were never around. Maybe you're bitter right now because a close friend betrayed your trust, and there was never any resolution to the situation, Maybe you're really wrestling with bitterness right now, like you don't want to go to work tomorrow because you got overlooked for that promotion that you put in the time and the energy and the effort and somebody else that didn't deserve it, they got it. Some of you are feeling bitter right now because you feel marginalized or diminished in some way, maybe because of your ethnicity or the color of your skin or your gender. Some of you right now, you're, you're bitter because a spouse cheated on you and it hurts even though you've decided to stay together. Some of you are wrestling with bitterness because something changed on you and nobody asked your opinion. It just kind of seems like the world just kind of went on. And here's the thing. Your anger isn't wrong. Maybe it's entirely justified. Anger is is an honest, healthy emotion. And in, in many cases, what happened to you was wrong. But here's the thing. Your unresolved anger has maybe become a poison and what happened to you you allowed it to get into you so your anger wasn't wrong but you allowed it to take you to a wrong place and your heart got hardened and the result was bitterness and bitterness not only hardens your heart on the outside it hardens your features or it doesn't it does harden your heart on the inside it hardens your features on the outside see it's not just what you eat that determines your health it's what eats you and bitterness is an emotional, bitterness is an emotional and it's a spiritual cancer. It's usually caused by the words or the actions of someone else, but they can't make you bitter. Only you can do that. And at some point, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, no, I'm not going to become a bitter person. And that doesn't mean you need to deny reality. It doesn't mean that you need to just take all of life lemons and make lemonade. That doesn't help. It means at some point you need to choose to extend this word that many of us have a love-hate relationship with. We love it when we receive it. We hate it when we have to give it. Forgiveness. One of my earliest memories is getting left at preschool all by myself. Some of you are like, that explains a lot. All right. Now we know. Now we know. All right. Uh, uh, I was probably four or five years old and I went to the preschool that we actually, our, the church that we attended had a preschool in it. Many, many churches do. And, and so that's just where my, my parents uh, sent me. And my preschool, I was really good friends with my preschool teacher's son. And it was his birthday and um, he was having a birthday party at Pizza Hut. And so I'll never forget we all walked out as a small class into a couple of vans, and I climbed up into the van with my friend, and we sat and I sat down next to him and I'll never forget she opened up the door and she looked at me and she said, "Oh, Aaron, she said you're, you're not going." And she had me get out of the van in front of all my friends, and I had to go back inside the building and and uh, she there were other, there's like other older classes there, but I was largely like by myself. I remember like walking into the back of the auditorium and sitting down in the, in the pew in the back of the auditorium. And I, and I I knew I needed to call my mom, but I didn't know how. And so I just kind of waited. And um, I was kind of sitting out on the curb when my mom pulled up and she couldn't believe that I was out there all by myself. And, and I come to find out like years later, what had happened is that this lady had gotten upset with my dad for something that he had done. I don't even know what he did, but she just decided to take it out on me and uninvite me from the birthday party. And um, many years later, like when I was, I was in college, I was working a part-time job at Sam's Club as a cashier. And guess who came through my line? Oh yeah. And here's like the amazing thing about it. I hadn't even looked up yet, and, uh, I, but I, I smelled her perfume. And as soon as I smelled her perfume, all the memories came rushing back. And I looked up and here's, here's just the thing, it was sort of, oh, she was so nice, right? She was like, she greeted me and she smiled and she was like, how are you doing today? And it dawned on me, like she has no idea who I am. And I'm like bigger than her now and stronger than her now and I've got the little, like, gun. I could, like, double ring her toilet paper, you know. And, <laughs> and, like, just in a few seconds, all these things, all these thoughts flooded through my mind of how I could get even with her. Or maybe I could, like, tell her off or whatever. And, and I'll never forget, just, like, right there in that moment. It didn't come from me because I'm not. Like, clearly, I have anger issues. All right. So there was just this, like, some call it the still small voice of the Spirit of God. And he was like, you need to forgive her. I mean, I tell you what, like, I was like, no, I'm not going to forgive her. Like, she deserves everything that she's got coming to her. And, and I, wanted to get, I wanted to get even, and, and he was like, It has nothing to do with her. Like, number one, you don't know what she was going through at the time. Number two, you never heard her side of the story. Uh, number three, she probably doesn't even remember it. This has everything to do with you, Brockett, not her. And I remember as I handed her the receipt, It took everything within me to smile at her and say, have a great day. And as she walked away, I thought to myself, I probably will never see her ever again. And I just said it, I forgive you. She never responded to me. She never turned around. She never had like this, like, you know, the sky didn't open up and angels come. I mean, none of that happened. But I felt this hardened calcification around my heart start to loosen one time the disciples would ask Jesus about this. They would say, Jesus, how many chances should we give somebody? We've heard seven. That seems pretty gracious. And Jesus goes, oh, no. Uh, se- how-, how about seven times 70? 490? All right, so 490 times we'll give somebody a shot. And then 491, we're drop kicking them in the throat. That's what we're doing. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. That- this is Figurative. That, that's actually another way of saying that you should actually, this is like a way of life. Like it's like breathing. It's like, it's like, how many times should I breathe during the day to stay healthy? I don't know, just keep breathing. How many, time, how many meals should I have between now and the end of my, I don't know, just keep eating. How many times should I forgive? Just keep forgiving. What? And I, I know some of you didn't clap right there. Like, I'm serious. Like, it's, it's, this is painful. Because you're like, oh, you got left at preschool. Huh, big deal. Uh, let me tell you my story. And good point. But is it really making anything better? We, we, have you noticed that we live in a really, really angry world? People get angry at the drop of a hat. One of the most distinctive things about people who have trusted their lives to Jesus should be that we handle our angry, anger differently. That when somebody looks at you, they just go, man, what is your deal? Like, it's not that you're Pollyanna, but wow, you're so gracious. And you can look back at them and say, it's because I'm extending the, I'm extending the grace that's been given to me. God forgave me, but I, I, I don't deserve it. And God has actually extended forgiveness through Jesus to this entire world and not everybody will receive it, but God still gave it. And so I'm gonna give it to you. And the key to this is is it's it's Christ living in me. I I can't do this on my own. If you're trying to give forgiveness and get free from bitterness on your own, you're not gonna be able to do it. You've gotta invite the spirit of God into your life to be able to do this because it is a supernatural thing. It's not something that you can do in your own human strength. And when you begin to realize that when you forgive, you're actually unlocking the prison cell and you're walking out, not the other person. So here's what I want to just invite you to do. I just want to I realize I'm going really long right now. There's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. And this is (laughs) this is turning into a hostage situation. All right. So I'm closing this thing down. All right. I wanna give you an opportunity just to receive Jesus into your heart, either for your salvation or to release yourself from your bitterness, maybe both. Those are the ways. And it's just very simple. Right where you're seated at any campus, you just simply go, okay, I give up. Like I'm gonna put to death the deeds of my sinful nature. It's missing the mark in my life. God, this isn't your best for me. And Jesus, I invite you in to be my Lord and Savior. You've done everything sufficient for my salvation. Now help me live this life by the strength of your spirit. Let me pray, and then our teams are going to lead us in communion and worship. Please don't leave. I know some of you might have schedules to run to or kids to get to or lunch to eat, but this is the most powerful time in our gatherings together where we just allow the Spirit of God to work on our hearts. Father, I come to you right now, and I just pray that you would release multiple people today from their own bitterness. And maybe they didn't even know they were bitter, but maybe they're going to see it in their lives because they allowed this poisonous root to get a hold of them. And so I just ask that you would give them the strength. Nobody's telling them to just suck it up. Nobody's telling them that it's no big deal. What we are saying is that when they choose to forgive, they're being set free. It's making our hearts softer so that you can do a work within our lives. God, I pray that you you would radically change somebody's life today. Somebody that would go from from darkness to light, from death to life because of your grace. And may we as a people give a picture of that to a world that is so angry and needs what only you can give. Meet us in this place right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church says,